Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 408 through 410, which will cover manga chapters 514 through 516. And coming back to the main story, we get to start the new arc, Amazon Lily, where we finally get to see what happened to Luffy after the harrowing events of Sabodi Archipelago. Alright, so synopsis. As Luffy was whisked away by Kuma to a far-off island, he finds himself on a remote island in the middle of the calm belt inhabited by a city of warrior women ruled by none other than the final member of the Shichibukai, Boa Hancock. Luffy must find a way to get off the island and make it back to Sabori to regroup with the rest of the crew. Alright, so differences. There are a few differences in these. Um, so yeah, there's a bit more with the boar in the beginning as all of those like comedic antics of it trying to eat Luffy are added. While in the manga, it just shows up and immediately looks at, at and Luffy and while Luffy is looking at his Vibra card. And then it starts to run after Luffy because he's also still trying to eat him. But all the little like cartoonish things that happened before that is kind of filler added for the anime. Another change is in the initial misdirect of the Amazons being depicted as snakes is all for the anime. And I personally love this misdirect. It's pretty funny and it doesn't really take anything away from the story. Uh, in the manga, it, it just cuts right to Sweet Pea and Aphelandra kind of standing over Luffy, calling towards Margaret. And yeah, there's no, this joke is just completely for the anime and I actually really enjoyed it. Uh, the next one is during the bathing scene in the river when they're cleaning Luffy, uh, in the anime or in the manga, Margaret is uh, topless in, and so obviously in the anime, they actually have her still keep her bikini top on. And of course this was done since it's a lot harder to hide breasts in animation with multiple angles rather than a still shot that Oda can strategically position the view from. Also, it's not really that out of place, since even in the manga, Sweet Pea is still clothed, so it really doesn't quite make sense why Margaret was topless. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's definitely a change that makes total sense in the anime. Next is when they've got Luffy at arrow point in the cage, when uh, Kikyo is telling Margaret, uh, Sweet Pea, and Aphelandra that it's for their benefit that they kill Luffy, there's a couple more bits of dialogue thrown in that just kind of repeat the same sentiment in different ways. It's kind of extend time, I'm assuming, to fill the episode. And then lastly, there are a few more shots and reactions of the Amazons while Luffy is on the run throughout the city. Pretty much everything after Luffy bounces off of Aphelandra's boobs and then until he grabs Margaret is all filler. There's like a good like minute and a half worth of stuff that's kind of him running throughout the city that's added in the anime that's not there in the manga. Alright, so let's get into the episodes. The episode begins from the point of view of the people remaining on Sabori. Really, the thing I want to highlight the most is how loyal the Rosy Life writers are to the Straw Hats now, showing, again, Luffy and his crew's innate ability to draw people into their side, to the point where these guys who were trying to kill them not even a few days ago are now ready to lay down their lives to protect their ship and it's and it's actually completely believable and it doesn't feel forced at all because of the fact that he basically yeah they they gave duval and his men back their lives they don't it, it doesn't seem like they wanted to go at least into human trafficking they kind of just got forced into it and now they can kind of live their lives as they wish and even for the better because before they were kind of thugs anyways like low-level thugs but now it seems like they've devoted their lives to doing good, just like the Straw Hats. 
And it's not too long before we catch up with Luffy and we get to really see what actually happens when you get sent on vacation by Kuma. Um, I gotta say, this is not what I expected at all, but to be honest, I really wasn't sure what to expect, but this wasn't it. Like, everyone, I guess, is encased in an air pocket uh, that's shaped like a paw and are just flown to the destination at incredibly high speeds. And apart from the circumstances, it actually seems quite pleasant. Luffy does eventually land in some kind of jungle island, and using the Vivera card, he makes a beeline to where it starts to scoot. And on a side note, I don't think I've ever noticed this up till now, but the wild boar that chases Luffy, his tusks are taped back together due to him breaking them earlier while trying to chomp down on Luffy initially. Now, this wasn't in the manga, like I mentioned in the differences section. All that stuff of him, like, breaking his teeth and all that cartoonish stuff was added in the anime. But I like in the anime, they they stuck to some consistency and had him tape his tusk back together. Kind of like how Chopper has his uh, left ho- or left antler taped back together. We also get a little more reinforcement of the, of the idea of how hard Garp was on Luffy, as he seems to have some sort of PTSD from his childhood from this moment. That scene got a little chuckle out of me when suddenly he's like, I don't want to remember that with this like really straight face. And then the next scene is interesting. While it's played for laughs, the context here is that Luffy is actually missing his nakama and is really depressed in in actuality and turns to laughing mushrooms with the implication that he's essentially turning to drugs to self-medicate his depression and pain away. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. And... I had never actually put this together uh, the first few times I've seen this. It's like the PG way of depicting drug use in a shonen anime by the main character and hero of the story. And that's wild to me. You really see just how large of a psychological um- impact this event had on Luffy to the point where he doesn't even want to confront or sit with his pain. So this next scene, like I mentioned in the differences section, I loved. This scene where we get to to see a conversation of the three new Amazonian characters, Margaret, Sweet Pea, and Aphelandra, but the way the camera only shows their respective snake partners, it makes it seem like these are talking snakes heading to Luffy to investigate his landing. And it, it goes as far as to have them turn their heads when speaking to each other, but it's just the, the way they're blank stares and unmoving and unopening mouths just stay static it makes it seem like a puppet show and it looks hilarious because you can clearly tell that it's not actually them but i personally just love this edition and the fact that it's an anime only edition is is great like whoever the screenplay adapter was for this episode was a genius we are eventually introduced to the actual three new characters margaret sweet pea and Athelandra. And one thing that I always thought was a good thing with the Amazonian women was that right off the bat, we get a very diverse look for all of them. Like Oda is often criticized for his lack of creativity when it comes to his female character designs, as it's kind of a meme now that every female character is Nami with a different color hair. And honestly, that's actually not too far off Like when you look at some of the female characters. But here we do get the traditionally beautiful standard Oda female character in Margaret, but then we also get a stocky, muscular Sweet Pea, which is an interesting name, and then the insanely tall but not quite giant Aphelandra. Of course, regardless of body type, Oda makes sure to design them all with revealing bikini outfits still, which, you know, Oda is still kind of trying to play up to his key demographic, I guess. 
Also, on a personal side note, when I read this part for the first time, uh, and until I actually saw this episode, I always pictured Margaret with red hair for some reason. So it was quite a surprise when she turns up with this bright blonde hair. But yeah, I, I always love imagining like color schemes of newly introduced characters in manga. It's probably one of my favorite parts about reading the manga first. But yeah, this was quite a shock to see her with bright blonde hair. Also, fun fact, all three of them are named after flowers. And specifically in regards to Margaret, I've seen her name written and pronounced as both Margaret and Marguerite. Technically, both, I guess, are correct, but I always called her Margaret since that's how it's actually pronounced in Japanese. Like, you read the, the、um, katakana and it's Margareto, so it's Margaret.、Um, but yeah, I, I've seen it referenced both ways. So, I, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but for the purposes of my podcast, I'm just going to continue to call her Margaret because that's what I've called her for more than a decade and a half. Next, they take Luffy back to their city to help him, not knowing he's a man yet, and they remove the mushrooms to save him. But I love that after they remove the mushrooms, they set him on fire to remove the roots. And I feel like if this was anyone other than Luffy, they'd pretty much be dead. <laughs> also, another fun fact you might recognize the voice of the Amazonian Kikyo that comments on how Margaret picking up another strange thing. That's actually Yuriko Yamaguchi, Robin's voice actor. And since Robin herself is missing from the story for now, they can kind of still give her a role in the story. She just kind of deepens her voice. And they actually do this often with the main cast, as they will pop up as random side characters or even extras over the series. And speaking of reused casts, another familiar voice actor they reuse here is one that instructs them on how to help Luffy and lights Luffy on fire, Belladonna, is voiced by Tomoko Naka, the same voice actress of Captain Hina. Now, this next whole sequence was so funny the first time I read this. So, as they're bathing Luffy, they come across his penis. And since they're a tribe full of women that have never seen a man, they would find this weird, stubby thing where there normally shouldn't be anything as a foreign object and mistake it for another mushroom. And they try to pull it and his balls off. And obviously, they can't, they can't get to it because it just stretches. And of course, due to his gomu gomu body, And it just keeps stretching and stretching no matter how long they pull. Luckily, before they resort to burning it off, Granny Nyon, the village elder, arrives to tell them all that Luffy is a man. And now they're all very intrigued and kind of freaked out. And yeah, speaking of a society full of warrior women, of course, Amazon Lily, as its name would suggest, draws heavy inspiration from the Greek myth of Amazons. Now, I'm not a Greek mythologist or anything, but yeah, they're a society of strong all female warriors that were isolated from men for the most part. And we would, of course, see this being the inspiration for the Amazons in American comics as well with Wonder Woman. Now, the big question when it comes to any and all women's society is、uh, how do they reproduce? And that's kind of been laid out in the myth and the narrator of One Piece, who also lays this out for us as well. They do have seafaring warriors that go out and mate with men and come back pregnant or with children. And I'm assuming if the child is born, they just, you know, if, they, if it's born male, they just send them back to the father. Or at least I hope that's what they do because I can think of some other really dark alternatives, which I don't really want to talk about.、Um, yeah. Luffy is obviously in prison after being discovered he's a male, but I love how they comment that. Even while he was passed out, he was eating, just like how he does after almost every major battle. 
And I think one of my favorite things about Luffy's interaction with the Amazons is that since for most of them this is the first time seeing a man, they believe that everything about Luffy applies to all men, including his stretching powers, his insane appetite, as well as his dullness and stupidity, which are all fairly unique to Luffy. They then eventually start asking Luffy about his testicles or his balls. And so here, there's a bit of translator's note. Um, so in Japanese, one way to refer to balls is kintama or golden balls. Kin being gold, tama being ball. So that's why they're all shocked and surprised while this sort of golden aura emanates from Luffy's crotch. So the localization team in the U.S. actually does an incredible and clever job of rep- replicating this with an English colloquialism by using family jewels. Uh, to mean balls, and there's almost nothing lost in translation by making this change, which is actually really cool. I, th- I found that very impressive, actually. Or it could speak to how in a lot of cultures, they refer to men's testicles as some sort of valuable jewelry. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a comment on culture or anything like that, but it is interesting. Luffy's then gifted with a new set of clothes, very generously designed and made by the ladies, but it's extremely feminine that Luffy loses his temper and yells, which gets all the Amazons on edge. But once Luffy learns of how Margaret and the others saved him, he realizes his mistake and apologizes. And I like this moment because it it just shows how much Luffy, how he kind of wears his emotion and heart on his sleeves, both good and the bad. He has his tantrum and shows his honest displeasure with the clothes, But when he realizes he's offended them, he immediately apologizes. And I like to think that this is yet another instance where that lesson in diplomacy Luffy learned from Vivi all the way back in Drum when they first met Dalton is shining through yet again. And this will actually come into play again in a few more episodes, actually. However, his apologies are met with skepticism and they start firing at him. And the arrows are actually a really cool visual way of telling us the audience that these Amazons are definitely stronger than your average person. These arrows will go, we will go on to learn that they're somehow imbued with Haki, which allows them to pack a larger punch, which is very interesting as we now have two instances where we've seen Haki being imbued on a weapon. First, Rayleigh's sword when fighting Kizaru. And yeah, it's clear that Oda is laying the foundation for Haki and slowly drip-feeding us all the different ways Haki can be used without going into these long stretches of boring exposition. And yeah, he's basically really using the old show-don't-tell technique to perfection here when it comes to Haki. And oh, we do have a panda man, or maybe our first panda woman sighting in a long while. Or at least this is the first one I've noticed in a while. So at the 17 minute 2 two second mark in the Crunchyroll version, just after Luffy steals the meat from the vendor, in the middle of the second trio of women that look up as a panda Amazon is standing there. <laughs> and yeah, it looks so weird and out of place, it's impossible to miss. Miss Panda Woman is also supposedly in the manga as well, but I have never found her. And yeah, the manga ones are so damn hard to find because obviously Panda Man is black and white and the entire whole manga is black and white. So so Panda Man really blends in really well. And also Oda draws them a lot less conspicuously. And so they're always incredibly hard to find. So once Luffy and Margaret are alone, he gets his Vivera card back from her and reveals to Luffy and us that Amazon Lily is ruled by the Snake Princess, who also happens to be a pirate, the Pirate Empress Boa Hancock, 
Now we got a, a name tease drop of Boa Hancock back on Thriller Bark from the Rolling Pirates, mentioning how a mermaid's beauty rivals that of Boa, which is again backed by Margaret here, as she is one of the most beautiful people in the world. Now one thing I always love about Luffy, and you gotta admire Luffy here, though as desperate and, and hopeless the situation seems, with no way to get off the island other than Hancock's ship, the island being smack dab in the middle of the combat surrounded by a bunch of sea kings, he still has full faith in his nakama and in his drive to reach them in the three days that they all agreed upon. Most people would at least have a small bit of despair before they were able to pick themselves up. I mean, even other anime protagonists have this, but Luffy, the ever forward thinker, he just is, gets right back up and keeps going. Of course, this would turn out to be disastrous as his cobbled together raft is so flimsy it immediately falls apart and Margaret has to save him yet again. But this is the first time that famous line from Arlong Park is put to the test where Luffy proudly declares that without his nakama, he couldn't do anything as we see that without Frankie, he can't build anything seaworthy and even if he were able to, without Nami, he'd never be able to navigate it. As well as without any other non-Devil Fruit users, he would surely drown instantly as well. And we also will see this pop crop up as the time goes on until Luffy is eventually reunited with them. He will often mention how, oh, I wish so-and-so were here because they would have this ability to do something about whatever. And we just constantly get reminded of the fact that, yeah, Luffy is pretty dependent on his nakama. Also with this scene, we get to see Luffy's natural sincerity and genuineness kind of superpower is starting to affect Margaret as well. Even though she still views Luffy as a potential threat, she still can't help but be compelled to help. And it's interesting to see that she's confused by this too. Like there's this cognitive dissonance in her head where she's been taught all her life that men are bad and that this person is dangerous. But as she sees Luffy, she realizes that he's deep down a good person that she knows she should help because Margaret herself is a good and kind person. It's always one of my favorite things to see someone slowly be won over by Luffy's infectious personality. And it's funny because the Amazons all talk about how all men carry an infectious virus. Well, in Luffy's case, he does in a way carry one. That, and that's his incredible personality and ability to draw people in is very infectious. The next scene, we get the big moment with the Marines and the Kuja pirates. Now, Kuja which means nine snakes, that's literally ku mean nine, and ja, which is the kanji for snakes. We learn a couple interesting tidbits of information right off the bat. While sea stones do hide the presence of the ships from the sea kings, it's not perfect and won't actually hide them forever, which was actually kind of a surprise to me when they revealed this. I thought it was kind of like a slap it on and forget it type of situation, and they're basically invincible from sea kings, but or I guess invincible as in invisible. Um, but yeah, it's not a surefire way of hiding from them. We also see that, like Luffy's grandpa, Vice Admiral Momonga is no slouch as he's insanely strong to down a full-size calm belt sea king. And this isn't the first time we've met Momonga, actually. He made a brief appearance as one of the Vice Admirals commanding one of the ships of the Buster Call, along with four other Vice Admirals. The Vice Admirals, while not Admiral level, but just being a step below them, are still a force to be reckoned with, as we can see. And it's here that we learn that Boa Hancock is the seventh and final member of the Shichibukai, 
which I didn't expect, but we get the first and only female member of the Shibukai, and her introduction is given the gravitas that it should. She's designed to be the most beautiful character in the series, and most would agree, she definitely has a very striking design compared to any other female character. Like, she's incredibly tall, her proportions are just absurd. I mean, even Nami's proportions are pretty absurd to begin with, but her, like, bust, hip, and waist ratio are ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, her face, her body, like, just, and how she's dressed is all definitely probably one of the best-looking character, female characters in the series. I wonder, I wonder what Oda was thinking when he, when he designed her, or if he, like, had the design for her, like, all this time, and has been taking care to make sure that every other female character that he's designed so far doesn't quite match Hancock's beauty. However, as beautiful as she is, her personality is something to be a little more desired, as she just straight up punts a kitten in her introduction. So there's a lot to unpack here in both regards to Hancock, the Marines, and the Shichibukai. First off, Hancock, and I'm calling her Hancock because that's her name. Some people call her Boa, and that's fine, but that's technically her last name. And there's this weird dynamic online I see people not knowing which to call her or insisting they call her Boa, which is weird since her sisters exist and they also have the same surname Boa. So it just makes more sense to call her Hancock. And Hancock is an incredibly interesting character. Just even the tiny bit we get to see of her here, and we'll definitely dive in more as we learn much more about her and her character as she develops. But the way she's introduced here definitely paints her in a very unlikable light. She's incredibly vain, arrogant, and very dismissive of people. It's the usual trope of an insanely hot woman thinking she's above everyone because of her extreme beauty and kind of looking down upon everyone else, but lets it but everyone else kind of lets it slide because she's so damn gorgeous. She kind of reminds me of a Kit Kardashian here for some reason. I I don't know if that's fair or not, but it just kind of that's the first thing that came to mind. It's also interesting that despite the Kuja being somewhat intimidated by her, they still adore her. So she can't be that terrible, right? Like, now, again, like I said, I'm not a Greek mythologist or anything like that. Or, But there's clearly a theming that Oda uses for Amazon Lily and its characters, with the female warrior society being the Amazons, and now Hancock being a clear reference to Medusa, a snake-themed woman that turns people to stone, combined with her sister's who are basically referred to as the Gorgons. And so then you, you have that with the, the, Gor- the legend of the Gorgon sisters and whatnot. So yeah, there's a clear theming across the entire Amazon Lily society that Oda uses to draw upon uh, from Greek mythology. Now speaking of turning people to stone, she obviously has a devil fruit, and although it's not necessarily named here, she pretty much spells it out for us with her move name. So the fruit is called the Meromeronomi, not to be confused by Aces Meromeronomi or Foxy's Noronoronomi. <laughs> so the Meromeronomi is the love love fruit. Now Meromero in Japanese means to be madly or drunk in love and it seems her power allows her to weaponize the lust in people's minds and anyone who gets hit with her Meromero Mellow Beam while having sort of lustful feelings towards Hancock get turned to stone. Now, I can't tell you all the different innuendos that I can think of here, but we'll just leave it at that. Um, But yeah, 
And how Momonga avoids the attack is pretty damn cool.、Uh, so he avoids the attack by stabbing his hand, which draws his attention away from Hancock to the immense pain, probably in his hand now. Which, despite kind of being a scum, he's actually kind of a badass, which is why back in NES Lobby, the, during those episodes that, of the podcast, if you remember, I mentioned I actually kind of like Momonga, and it's actually specifically because of this moment. He seems really cool here between taking down a Sea King and now, you know, defeating Hancock's attack. It's all really cool, in my opinion. One other thing to note about Hancock is the specific way she speaks in, in Japanese. If you pay attention how she speaks, particularly how she says I, so how she addresses herself, the pronoun she uses, instead of the normal watashi or atashi, she uses the word warawa. And this is apparently how classically、um, in, ja- in Japan women would refer to themselves, as particularly when it comes to like samurai's wives. Basically, she's speaking like a noble woman would back in the old days. Kind of like how rich women would speak all proper, like in like the 19th century. I don't know, think of Rose's mean mother from the movie Titanic. <laughs> I don't know why that came to mind, but also this would now complete the animal theming for the Shibukai that Oda has been using with Mihawk, obviously a hawk, Jinbei being a whale shark in Japanese, crocodile, pretty obvious, Kuma is bear in Japanese, Doflamingo, pretty obvious, Gekko Moria with gecko and bat in Japanese. And lastly, Boa Hancock is referencing a boa constrictor snake. Okay, so the last thing I kind of wanted to mention doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with these specific episodes, but no, you know, I kind of wanted to discuss kind of the hypocrisy of the Shibukai system and how it's a failed and flawed system now that we've got the reveal of pretty much all seven members. And although we haven't actually seen Jinbei, we pretty much know of him. Now, the hypocrisy of the Shibukai system, just to preface, there is a lot more I will say about this as more gets revealed later on in the series. But I want to kind of prime this thought since we've got a lot of the major pieces already. So, the Shibukai or the Warlord system is incredibly flawed and hypocritical. And it's very indicative of kind of the corruption of the Marines and the world government. The Shibukai were created to counterbalance the might of the Yonko pirates because. Together with the admirals, they kind of create a balance of power between the Yonko and the world government. The world government grants them special benefits and freedom in exchange for their services when called upon. And when you think about that for a second, though, the world government is willing to let all of these incredibly dangerous pirates just roam free just because it benefits them. But we've already seen two instances of this system completely break down. And start harming innocent people. And both times the Marines could have stepped in to help and chose not to until it was unavoidable. The first being Crocodile's attempted coup of Arabasta, and then the second was Doflamingo's slave trading business. Now we see that the only time when the Marines will actually take action against the Shibukai is when they themselves need the Shibukai to do their bidding, in particular this time in helping fight off Whitebeard. We see Momonga. Threaten Hancock about taking away her status as a Shibukai, which would put the island in danger. But they will let the countless evils of the Shibukai that they commit on a daily basis, and they won't interfere until they need them. It just kind of makes you hate the Marines and the world government even more because of just how, yeah, how hypocritical this system is. Of course, there's more nuance to this with specific members and the system as a whole. As we learn more throughout the series, which we'll get to 
as they come up. But yeah, that's something, you know, obviously this is just the tip of the iceberg with the Shibukai system. And there is a lot more that happens with this all the way up until like the Wano arc. So we will definitely be talking about this far more. But anyways, that's it for the opening of the Amazon Lily arc and the reveal of the final Shibukai Boa Hancock. And yeah, this will prove very interesting to see how she reacts to Luffy trespassing on the island because she does seem very cold and an unforgiving person. But anyways, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of re-watching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast for updates of when I post new episodes and to see some pictures of my manga collection. And yeah, as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. There are maybe a couple things I could talk about in spoilers, but uh, I think I'll save that for much later, particularly in regards to the Shibukai. It just doesn't make sense to go into a deep dive in the spoiler section, so I'm going to wait till the appropriate time in the series to actually talk about this whole concept as a whole. But yeah, I hope you stay safe out there, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye!